so today's episode, the theme is actually end of summer. And so we've got our guest today for that, Antonio. And then our next episode is going to be uh, back to school. Um, and the movie we're doing for that could not be more different than the movie we're doing today, which is Inherent Vice. The next film for back to school will be accepted. Uh, <laughs> so, so very different tones with that yes um, definitely uh yeah and i'm not i'm actually very uh i'm a little daunted by this episode right now i'm just like trying not to try too hard about understanding this movie or explaining why i like this movie uh because I've, i'm worried i'll try to sound smart and i'll end up sounding either like more stony or just not smart at all because I feel like that's what happens in real life when I try to talk about this movie. So I'll just, I, I just won't like go in that, you know, that too deep into the direction, you know, like deep into the layer of inherent vice that you can go pretty much. Yeah, I, for this viewing, I started um, watching with the Wikipedia plot up to try and help me and then very quickly realized that's the wrong thing to do. And you just got to, <laughs> You just gotta experience it and don't don't try too hard and i told you guys i was gonna take notes and right when i put in the dvd i was like no i'm not doing that that's a ridiculous way to watch this movie uh i shouldn't be thinking too much while watching this movie i should really just be sitting back and letting it take it in and um it's a also an absurd thing to try to pick out details of the plot which i'm uh not gonna try to do as much today either i'm gonna like you know, I can probably remember some lines here and there, like who's in each scene, but I'm not going to be like going over the logistics of this investigation very much today. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> but I was thinking about this today. I was like, what if this movie was bigger in pop culture and people were saying like lines as if it was a Game of Thrones line, like beware of the golden fang. Like they knew all the references and all that, all that shit. That's, this is just not that kind of movie at all if anything this is the most artsy not mainstream movie that john and i have revisited so far and uh due to how we revisit things it, this is like an absurd it's almost a bid that we are revisiting this movie as much as i actually you know stand up for it and think it's a a masterpiece um and you know, i i wanted uh, you to have you on so bad because i you're one of the few people i know who like it as like hmm. much as me too yeah, I mean, I've I've actually seen this movie kind of a lot. Um, one of the yeah, what's the number? I, I don't know what the number is exactly. I would say more than like five times all the way through for sure. All right. Um, I, I'm definitely over five. Yeah, I used it in a like a video project I did in school um, about like film noir, and I used yeah. scenes from it like in that video. Um. So I had to watch it. I had to watch it a lot. Like, so yeah, you, you got to spend some time with it. Right. For sure. And I mean, I had the same problem as you is like, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take some notes of this viewing. Um, but yeah, quickly I realized it's just impossible. Like one. And then it's like you said, it's not the way to watch the movie, like from that sort of analysis lens. Then there's, there's so many details and characters that's like meaningless, you know, like we all like noir here. So like this, this is good for that too. Cause we all like film noir. 
like film noir say like the big sleep or something like that he meets like max five to six people this is like 20 like 20 fucking people more like that's why the cast is so giant and so awesome it's just sprawling and i'll just forget that someone's in this scene i'm like i forget about so many scenes even though i've seen it eight times i'll just i'll something will come up i'm like oh oh yeah he walks through this weird (laughs) this weird place and that happens you know yeah even in something like the big sleep like Anytime there is a new character introduced, I start to get so confused by all the names, having to remember who's who. Yeah. And they're always like these goofy, kind of goofy old timey names. And in this, it's, yeah, it's even, even more complex and confusing and, uh, (laughs) and hard to keep track of, of everybody. And this is my second time. This is my second time seeing it. So I still, I, th- I think I need at least, yeah, seven or eight viewings to really even <laughs> slightly comprehend everything. Yeah. Yeah. Antonio, we saw the big sleep at um, the music box once. And I think, I believe it was 420, which <laughs> is a really funny movie <laughs> to see on 420. Oh, yeah. For it's sure. like, it's like a really film, it's like a film school move for sure. But it, I remember it being re- really fun. Because it is, it's funny, and it, it is kind of like this, where it's you can't follow everything, like plot-wise, everything that's going on. Yeah, I kind of uh, I wrote down because this time I was thinking about that like film noir aspect this movie has, and I kind of was just looking through other film noir movies that I've seen that like coincide, and I would say the three big ones, and really only two of them are film noir. Is uh, I wrote The Big Sleep, um, The Big Lebowski. And then the long goodbye, uh, Robert Altman's yeah. long goodbye. I think this movie owes like a lot to those that kind of three movies. So like, if you're someone who likes any one of those movies, I think you maybe should check out like you know this movie. Yeah, I don't think we watched the Altman one together, right? Did we? Mm, I don't think so. It's been a while since I watched that. Yeah, but I have seen the long goodbye, and John's seen the long goodbye, and I remember thinking of Inherent Vice when I saw the long goodbye, because mm-hmm. I didn't know. <laughs> I need an explanation, another one explanation to why I didn't know what was going on in that movie, but liked it, which is a great way to describe Inherent Vice. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. was the first time you guys watched uh, this film? First time for me was last year. So I'm still, I'm still a novice when it comes to inherent vice. So yeah, yeah. Well, I remember when you watched it too. Um, I just wanted to talk like more and more about it, but we had you know, whatever, twenty more movies to get to that day. So I, you know, I stopped myself, and I, yeah. I'm, all, I was also worried about going down, really going down that road as <laughs> I am today, um, and. I, yeah, that's why it's like it's worthy to do a podcast on this movie for me, definitely, because, yeah, I do have a lot to say about it. And it's a filmmaker I am very passionate about. And we haven't covered one of his movies yet. And true. And this is probably the most un, like the most unlike any Paul Thomas Anderson movie as well um yeah so yeah we're starting off starting it off groovy and weird yeah i like what you said antonio too about the uh the movies that you compared it to because 
I've seen a lot of comparisons to The Big Lebowski, which is a movie when I first saw, I didn't really, didn't really get. I saw when I was like 18, maybe. And now I've seen it, I feel like almost 10 times and I love it. And I feel like that is a point to where that I'll get to with Inherent Vice too, that it's just, you got to keep, keep plugging away at yeah, it. Plug it away. Yeah. Eventually it'll really, it'll really grab you. I will yeah, say brings, that like, or go ahead. I was going to say, it brings me to your question on when I've seen it and I've seen it like eight mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. just to put, just to throw that out there. But I don't know if I'll show that today necessarily. Yeah. I mean, going off kind of that thing, like there's so much that happens and so many scenes and the plot is so intricate that it would, it would take a whole day probably to like really break it down. But I think as opposed to the big sleep where there are like huge plot holes, like where you can't, I don't think anyone could ever figure out what actually happens in that movie. I think the plot of Inherent Vice actually does make sense after maybe the third or fourth time viewing. Um, Yeah, you can string it together. I have been stringing it together slowly as time, as time has gone on. I actually was really impressed on how much I followed everything this time around too. Um. It's like one of those, like, it's not, there's no way you could pitch it, you know, to like, say like, if Paul was going to pitch it to Scott Rudin and all the other people who produced it, it's not like a, this, this meets this meets this, like that would not go well in the pitch room, like at all. It has to be like faith in the team working on it and the fact that it's like a famous pinch on novel. Um, and just the fact that this movie has so much budget in it and got as big of a wide release that it is, is pretty damn awesome because that shit doesn't happen very often either it's like you know like a movie like under the silver lake which is also very like you get lost and it's very paranoid and but it also pays so much hitchcock homage just the fact that that gets made you're like you're like fuck fuck yeah like movies like these (laughs) don't get that made made that often you know right yeah all right well since we've gone down the road already let's uh let's just Let's just get right. Let's try to get into it here. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Robert Elswit opens with a great shot of the beach between those apartments. It's always like dock setting, you know. There's the, there's a lot of uh, voiceover there, uh, done by. Uh, see, already already messing it up here. I forget who does the voiceover. Either um, way, she does great that. voiceover. Yeah, that that actress, interesting enough. She her name's Joanna Newsom, and yeah. she's she's not yeah. like an actress. She's a like a musician. She's like plays harp. Um, gotcha. And her music is like really beautiful, but like it's just so strange every time I see that she's in this movie because it's like I don't know. But she has like such a nice energy. Like <laughs> she does. She's the voice of the whole movie. So the fact that I off the bat didn't know it, I was like, damn. <laughs> She's uh she's also married to Andy Samberg, uh, funny enough. Oh, really? Interesting. What? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, like you said, she's a pretty famous harpist, I guess. Which <laughs> I don't know many harpists. I don't think I can name one besides her. But yeah, <laughs> I can now name one harpist. <laughs> yes. Uh, and also that I just found out yesterday that the girl from Haim is going to be in his new movie. Oh, dope! That comes out mm. this year. The one with. Bradley Cooper and Benny Safdie and the girl from Haim. Nice. So very, very interesting cast. (laughs) 
Um, speaking of like those opening shots, uh, so the first time I saw it was at the Music Box, um, and they were having this like seventy millimeter festival, and they were playing oh, it, it on there. seventy millimeter. Yeah, jam. and uh, I had not I had not seen the movie, and I was like, no one wanted to come with me, so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go by myself. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I've done it <laughs> at the Music Box, and I think it was actually the first movie I've ever seen by myself. Um, that was. I forget what year it was, but the guy said the movie was filmed in 35 and then they blew it up to uh, 70 millimeter. And he was like, I just think this movie's so beautiful. And the first shot I remember, <laughs> it was like crystal clear. And yeah, you know, I was yeah. obviously well prepared for the movie. So I was just <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> oh man, that's happened to me at the music box where, well, not only have I been alone at movies, like I saw trash humpers alone. If that's like, like, is that the most like, <laughs> if there's a movie to see alone? Yeah, I saw trash humpers alone. But I remember when I saw The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, it was my first time at the music box and the screen like rolled out and it's just like, you know, an open shut wide of the West. And I was like, whoa, it was like the best. Uh, yeah that it's a yeah it's great for those 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 shots are great at the music box uh so then all right so then we got that voice we got some voiceover we got um shasta faye hepworth uh kind of coming in on doc it's kind of the story's being told as a flashback and uh she basically incites him to investigate uh one mickey wolfman um and that's really i think all it is but that scene goes on for a while <laughs> like there's a <laughs> this is a very talky movie with talking that goes on for a while and also it's a great subtitle movie i would say for people because they mumble, mumble. a lot Mumbling. and they talk very slowly um and Joaquin, I would almost say like, damn, Joaquin's like, why are you mumbling? But like other characters mumble in this too. So it kind of fits the uh, the subculture we're following here too. Um, but probably mm -hmm. also speaks, it also speaks to why someone is bored during this film, which I've heard about before. Oh yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of talking where it, not a whole lot happens, but these scenes, yeah, are really drawn out. But you know, I think that's all. That's all just part of it. But any time that I could find myself like, sort of drifting off when there's like too much talking, then immediately like, there's something else that just like brings me back in. That's like just weird or uh, a little yeah. off. That yeah, yeah grabs my attention again. Yeah, like Michael Kenneth Williams, his scene. I never follow, like, I know there's, you know, a lot of tension between the Aryan Brotherhood and, uh, I don't know, I think it's some... Black, Black Gorilla Family. Black Gorilla Family, yep. Uh, I know that, but, like, I mainly just am so into his line delivery and the vibe that he brings, the presence he brings to that scene that I don't really care. You know, that's kind of how a lot of this movie functions for me. It's like... It's like writing that's good, but I'm not like following. It's more just the, it's like feeling and vi vibe atmosphere and like the, just what every actor brings to the table along the way to like create this entire world that is just fun to get, uh, just to get lost in for like two, two and a half hours, you know? Yeah, I think that's what makes this movie more like, 
that that's kind of what cements this movie as like a film noir or like a stoner noir movie is that like maybe it's not dark and gritty i mean it can get like a bit dark but it's mostly about yeah. this vibe and this mood and these tones of like the scenes and the characters and like you said like this world um, yeah yeah and even when it gets dark it's like like you know how there's that shot when he's talking to Michael Kenneth Williams of the paranoia alert, which I you sent to us and I actually didn't even remember that was from the movie and then it popped up in the movie. It's like oh, <laughs> that's where that's from. <laughs> um, but like the scenes where it gets dark, it's all it's about paranoia and the movie does not take this movie doesn't like take itself like super seriously ever it's very goofy so and it, it plays on the fact of each scene i mean some more than others could be definitely not be happening right now you know it's a figment in this guy's mind like the final scene with josh brolin where he um consumes all the cannabis very violently uh could easily be him sitting on the couch watching tv just you know lost on some trip or something like that um i mean the whole half last half hour of the movie is that which is why i always forget what happens in the last half hour uh because when i got to martin sheen's scene this time i was like all right we're, we're getting there you know the movie's almost over but i had an hour to go and I was like, what, what happens after this? Like this, it, it's already so crazy. This is such a high point already. The casting is perfect for this too. Cause there's all these like funny people in it, which seems out of place for a no horror um, private dick movie like this, but uh, like Martin Short, Owen Wilson, um, Josh Brolin. But yeah, it's just like, it, yeah. it's totally. Jillian funny. Bell, not, totally on camera over the shoulder around the waist more so (laughs) but she is in it (laughs) and i'm sure she was like you know even for that one scene she had like to really i don't know assimilate to what was going on even for that one scene uh because i remember her every time i remember how she (laughs) she's like you got you want to get fucked up yeah before this meal (laughs) get good and fucked up before this meal yeah Oh, and Benicio del Toro, you gotta like remember he's mm. in this because he's you have to. <laughs> he's that he's the man. He's we were just talking about uh what no sudden moves recently, which I don't know if you've seen yet, Antonio. Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed Yeah, that's a good ass movie, and I loved it a lot because Benicio del Toro and Don Cheadle are the leads. Um <laughs> and Matt Damon has a really good scene towards the end as well. Yeah, pretty much any time Benicio del Toro or um, Josh Brolin are like on the screen, mm-hmm. it's just like mesmerizing. Yeah. Absolutely, like great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and and Josh Brolin is probably, uh, I don't know. I might say his finest role for me. Like I am so like I think you could make an argument. There's. Pro- there's probably other movies you could bring up. I'm thinking of No Country for Old Men. Uh, do you guys got any? That was the first one that came to mind. Um, no Country for Old Men. Sicario. Oh fuck, he's good. In- True Grit is like a scene, right? True. How yeah, long? True Grit. Yeah. He's in it very little, but he's so good in that very I little think bit. Like, yeah, he sure is. He sure point, is. John. To your point, the just the range and the kind of relationship yeah. he has with Doc is so unique. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. like most people would be able to pull off like 
half of what he's saying is a joke half of it is like intimidation right and, and also a lot of insecurity yeah about all those hippie scum out there like he's mm -hmm. like there's later talk about him you know having therapy uh with his wife his wife clearly like pushes him around at home um and then when they're eating he's eating pancakes at some japanese place or something he he says i they're not as good as my mom's but i i come here for the respect <laughs> and and walkie and and uh doc says he's like you didn't get you didn't get that from your mom <laughs> and i noticed that this time i was like whoa that's like a real speak to this guy's deep insecurities uh yeah big fan of bigfoot bjornson he's one of my favorite characters that doesn't ever come up because it's so odd and out of the ordinary and i love that he's an actor too like he just shows up <laughs> on the television like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he's got like the um yeah the the af the absurd afro yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a weird introduction to his character because it's not, it's not yeah, who John, he is first at all. thing so. you see of him. Yeah. It's John, the first did, thing you see. What did you like, think of like that the first time you saw it? I thought that was, so the first time I saw it, I honestly thought that there were, that Josh Brolin was going to play two different characters because yeah, he was like, which is oh, understandable. Like, so the guy from the TV, AKA Josh Brolin is now in this here as this Bigfoot guy. Um, so that took me a little bit to like fully grasp um that but then you know i i slowly caught on but yeah i just i love his just like sort of dry uh sense of humor in this and it's just him and uh the um dynamic between him and joaquin phoenix is just too funny i wanted to ask who everyone's favorite all right favorite uh favorite person in this movie that isn't joaquin phoenix and i may leave off Catherine Waterstone too because they're kind of the the main thing so it's not fair to use either of them I'm meaning like the ensemble I don't know if you guys had a, a like a standout favorite like I mean I guess we did Josh Brolin could be the one too yeah I mean yeah. Josh Brolin would be up there go ahead go ahead and tell um I'm gonna exclude Josh Brolin as well. Yeah, yeah. See, another unfair thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll dip into the uh, the lower cast. Uh, the what? Well, I mean, one of the funniest scenes of the whole movie is with Martin Short, and I just I bust out laughing every time. And then he's like, "Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll join you for a for a second. And he just sniffs <laughs> like a bunch of cocaine. Right, right. Uh, His energy during that one. I think the most surprising one to me is like eric roberts scene uh, yeah i i forgot that he is the big guy in this too yeah like he's Mickey. got some yeah some you know like people know him kind of now for just taking on these really like small low budget movies and like just doing a voiceover for a cat you know in his in his uh closet but then you see something like this and he's like just that one scene it's so memorable and like he's able to play this like guy you know out on this like trip like so well with doc and i don't know it's just it always kind of gets me that scene yeah so to have that come from like eric roberts i think that's i don't know that stands out to me 
Well, yeah, Eric Roberts is so, I don't know, he's like lower on the totem pole acting wise now, right? And then you go back to movies like this and you're like, oh yeah, he was the real deal, you know? And and then he's in The Dark Knight as the real deal as well, which I'm, I just, that's whenever I picture Eric Roberts, Roberts is that just the smug look in The Dark Knight that he holds for the whole movie, you know? He holds that, that like look with his side head, you know, every time. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, I, I also, so I think mine would be um, either Owen Wilson or Martin Sheen because Martin Sheen. Or, uh, Martin, Martin Short. Martin Short, yes. <laughs> Martin Sheen would be good too. He would. Uh, yeah. Martin, <laughs> Martin Short, Martin Short scene had my heart like beating like really fast. It was like the real exhilarating, thrilling point of the movie for me. And then Owen Wilson kind of hits the emotional high point for me when uh, Doc like brings him home. Like it's probably my favorite scene in the film. Um, Cause during all this paranoia, you're, you're kind of wondering what is this, <laughs> what is this all about? You know, this is a meaningless movie. You know, there's a lot of people who um, probably ha who definitely have that take that this is a stupid, meaningless movie, but then there are, there are these like three to four big scenes. One of them, which is the Owen Wilson scene where uh, like, you're like, okay, this is, this is like about something, you know, this movie has a heart and a core to it. Um, so yeah, just cause Owen Wilson brings that out for me, he may, um, he may lead my uh, supporting cast, uh, but you know, every, everyone's good. There's also a, there's like a round table, uh, like with Paul and the cast, I don't, I forget who conducts it. it. It's not like Nike 92nd street Y or anything, but it's really good. I highly recommend you guys oh, watch cool. it because the ensemble, uh, cause it's such an ensemble, you hear so many different opinions and just, um, stories of how the production went. And, uh, Joaquin doesn't talk at all. If you can believe it or not <laughs> the whole time. Um, but you don't care because everyone, everyone is like everyone else is talking, uh, including Paul's wife, who's in the film. Uh, and when Joaquin talks, sometimes I don't know how much you know. Lately, I'm not sure how into it I am. Always, kind of makes me. He kind of, <laughs> he kind of makes me anxious and depressed. Do you think that Joaquin is playing a character like for the public in his in like real life? I think he I, actually hates anything but acting that much. I, I believe, like, I just believe I he hates. That. Oh, yeah. Oh, I but think you he's anxious. anxious. Yes, and there is also though, yeah, yeah. like those. Yeah, he's just very anxious. He's filled with angst so much, which is such <laughs> a, <laughs> which is such a crazy um, attribute for one of the greatest actors ever. You know, when you saw other mm -hmm. actors, it they are more like Brando. Daniel Day Lewis. It's more about, I mean, any big movie star, but also great actor. I'm always thinking, like, wow, they're they just ooze cool. They're relaxed. I feel comfortable when I'm around. <laughs> My eyes light up when they walk in the room, you know, all of that shit. So Joaquin does not do that. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some conspiracies about people who think that he is doing like an Andy Kaufman type thing with the right. media and like the press that like when you actually like 
people meet him and talk to him personally that he's very different than his like media persona that he's sort of being a character just like for fun basically because he, he doesn't think he doesn't take that stuff seriously but uh yeah i don't i don't know what have you believe. both seen like i'm very... still here yeah mm-hmm. no i haven't seen that yet you haven't seen it you gotta that's a okay. must watch that's a must. you've that's... seen have you seen the letterman interview yes yeah yeah from yeah, i'm the still whole here letterman yeah. thing is mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah the letterman thing is probably so the funny. high point of the documentary you know that's kind of what got me to watch it but the documentary is still definitely worth watching all right so are we in the plot of inherent vice we got through Tariq khalil um i, I still basically... need to hear uh, john's actor pick oh yeah oh we, john, yeah go? yeah yeah we went uh mine mine would be martin short for sure because i i actually distinctly remember this time i was feeling like i was i was catching on to everything and i was in a good spot like okay i've got this <laughs> i can get through the rest of the movie knowing what's going on when like uh, Joaquin Phoenix gets to Owen Wilson in that house and Owen Wilson's explaining, you know, um, you know, what, what he's in the middle of. And then I was like, okay, okay, I got this. And then he goes and meets Martin Short and then all of that goes out the window and it's just bonkers, but in the best way. And yeah, everything from the, the moment Martin Short comes in there, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I just feel like it takes, takes it to another level, takes a turn that I wasn't expecting. And, uh yeah yeah i, I like well, that he probably goes to a place sure. that he never has which i would also say is the same for like owen wilson like which is why i love the casting so much yeah yeah no it's yeah perfect yeah first time i, I had no idea to... martin short was in this and that was that was and then he came up he came up yeah. in the that's that's funny because <laughs> he the does because <laughs> he goes all out yeah because he goes yeah. all out i also wanted to compare this movie to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. being that it is a movie about the 60s mm-hmm. and 60s nostalgia in different ways. But, and they are also, one is pro hippie, which would be this film, and the other would be anti hippie, uh, Tarantino's movie. And I am so about both philosophies when I'm watching each movie <laughs> because this, it's such a nice, like, it's it's just such a cozy underbelly world and like it's really just about like doc like you know like seeing all the change going around him and like numbing himself with all the weed as every as all this crazy shit happens around him and then i don't know once upon a time in hollywood has that like anti-hippie mentality through those two main characters being from the previous era you know so like this kind of like one runs like from from a decade before an inherent vice kind of runs a decade later as like the transition from the 60s to the 70s right yeah i think they're from like you know these two different perspectives and yeah like one's at the beginning the other's at the end i i guess is what i'm trying to say right because like yeah there's like some scenes where this 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 you know they talk about the mansons and like that's why they're kind of yeah. persecuted in the culture and there's like right paranoia like about like everything you know yeah in this world charles charles manson is, is like the celebrity he was to all these uh hippies we're not covering his like you know all the girls that hung around him and everything but 
don't know. I guess I just want to bring that up because I love getting immersed into the 60s when it's the, when it's like these movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think a good scene that kind of encapsulates that is like that scene, the Ouija board scene uh, where it's like that flashback to Doc and Shasta, like they're out of weed and they're using the Ouija board to find yeah weed and then they go to the spot and there's nothing there and isn't that a isn't there a neil young yeah the neil song young song playing yeah and right. it's raining and outside that's a really good one yeah i i love that scene and then it goes right into that uh martin yeah. short scene yeah they yeah. suddenly they're it's a good point in the movie where it's like all right suddenly we have nowhere to go yeah, yeah like i mean that, this that, that end of summer thing you were kind of talking that theme right you know. right yeah that yeah the reason i see this as an end of summer movie just because it is about like it's the movie as as said during uh the voiceover like three quarters of the way in like inherent vice kind of it's like something you can't avoid you know and it's about like you know time that time just it's really just time doesn't stop this whole move this whole movie's a metaphor for that and Doc's kind of resisting that through his whole shtick the whole way through. So whenever like I'm, I don't want summer to end because it's that it's, it's not only, you know, I like summer, but it's a point in the year where I'm like, fuck, <laughs> like more, <laughs> more time has gone past, you know, back to the drawing board here. It's just, I don't know. And, and like, there's so many ways you can look at it with this movie, even like, us being in our mid twenties and having dread about growing up. It's like a similar thing. Like it's a, you know, it's inherent vice, man. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like that. I like, uh, I like how you tied that into to end of summer. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's when I watch it every year too, actually, this is, mm -hmm. I didn't, so this kind of followed with my yearly, my yearly watch. Um, so yeah, what scenes have we not covered yet that we should? I guess we haven't talked about uh, Reese Witherspoon and her character at all yet. Well, even have earlier, we... there's the Pussy Eaters special place. Uh, yeah, I love mm, that scene, yeah. and that's actually very early on. So it shows that we've skipped. It's a good way. It's good spontaneous, like when they come up, sort of thing type of movie. Because yeah, chronological order is never going to help us in this. Um, First, I love that shot by Elswit where it's just on the side of the car and he's, you know, Doc's just driving through all this just kind of weird stuff. Like there's like a motorcycle gang that like, you know, goes by and then he gets to uh, the massage parlor and you see like people like in the background, like training in the desert or something like that. And it's just really is like, what is going on? Um, and I also love Johnny Greenwood's, uh, his his track on this this particular scene it's like it's a little it's where he goes a little closer to radiohead at least for me because it is um that like spontaneous groove element and because he's he's using his um you know his former instrument he's using a guitar um like we haven't talked about the score yet um at all because there's so much other shit, but the score is such a significant part of the movie. And we're all, us three are Radiohead, Johnny Greenwood, uh, fans, supporters, you know, whatever you want to call it. So I, I think that was a, another good idea, you know, that we're covering this movie as well. Um, 
Antonio, you should probably come on one of our score soundtrack episodes in the future because we go hard with the scores, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I We're mean, about them scores. the score in the soundtrack for this movie, like maybe we can get into that a little bit later too, but it, I, it's, it's one I have on repeat just all the time. Right. It's a good on-the-move score mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he goes into the uh, parlor and... I, I don't have this actress's name at the top of my head either, but I also love her in this movie. You're talking about Jade? Yes. The yeah. character Jade. Yep. Uh, Hung Chow. Yeah. Yes. I like her a lot in this movie too. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jade comes out and I, I don't even, like the thing is like things like this happen where I don't even remember what Doc came there for. Really, and it's pretty early on in the movie, but he kind of just gets sucked into uh, the services of the parlor, and then we it's kind of a blackout. We don't know what happens next, and then it's like a cut to Bigfoot's introduction, which is a great, like, it goes from a great close-up of Joaquin on the ground uh, to, like, a reverse wide on... Uh, on, on Bigfoot and like all the police just staring at him on the ground and he's got the megaphone and well I guess that's the second scene with this character because as you said as we said earlier he is on TV oh, yeah, on <laughs> in TV. a commercial for some reason but this is the first time they are in a they talk together and and so all right I'm actually remembering part of the plot here guys so then we go to Bigfoot's <laughs> office Whoa. and he's like so you don't think uh you don't think Shasta and uh, help me out here, oh, guys? Yeah. The um, Mickey Puck Wolfman or, or Mickey Puck? Wolfman. Yeah, I, I think they who... use another name though for Mickey Wolfman, which is also why it's confusing. Like maybe he has a different, um, like an, I don't know, a, a name to keep it. Yeah, keep well, it more low like key a, for him. She's kind of like sleeping around too. So. Oh yeah, that's also probably mm-hmm. it. <laughs> but then he yeah. he's got that great scene where he's like, "Do you think they were f u c k i n g in?" Yeah, he's like <laughs> yeah. doing that, and he he even like licks his hand yeah. <laughs> while he does it. It's fucking. Oh, and then uh, ben- Benicio's character comes in with the yeah yeah sailor the sailor. Outfit. <laughs> I I know I love. I love I've never you know lawyers don't dress like that normally in movies so I just love it when Benicio comes in dressed like that also just costumes across the board in this movie mm, are fantastic sure. mm-hmm. uh yeah um yeah and Benicio's got that line was like clients pay me for work doc clients pay me for work doc <laughs> like it's just so play it's just so playful and silly he's like so like maybe we'll move the case to orange county not a lot of hippies out there and it's just decide yeah. yeah 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 um all right where do we go where do we go from there in this thing uh what's her name jenna malone's character hope Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, who okay. who who hires him for the separate mm. case of Owen Wilson's of her right, 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 right. Yes. And I'm she's missing. like an Boy, introduction yeah. to the mm-hmm. heroin addicts, and right. she's she's like, "How do you like my chompers?" Uh, <laughs> and she says that that's like the best part of like heroin recovery, essentially. Um, yeah. Like yeah, and I like her place. a lot in that scene too. Like, fuck, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just that one scene. I, I always remember. I'm like, she's so great. Um, but yeah, that's how we get on. Oh, yeah, that's a side plot with Owen Wilson after that. 
Um, but then, then do we go to Mickey Wolfman's wife? The scene at Mickey Wolfman's house, though, is really, it's really funny how she, how just hyper-sexualized his wife comes out and her, like, maid. And Joaquin's just sitting in the middle of it, and it's just awkward and weird. And then he ends up, like, in his, in the tie room, looking, I think, looking for a, uh, a Bigfoot oh, yeah. logo on a tie or something? Uh, it's for Shasta. He's looking for the Shasta's, like, tie. Right, they're all naked on the ties, and he's looking for hers, but mm. it's gone. And then later, it's that that guy, uh, Puck or whatever his name, he has it. That, oh yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Man, this is all this is all so. It's always it's all resurfacing, <laughs> yeah. And then he's like about to have sex with the maid mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the servant or whatever in the in the closet, and then it's like another blackout towards something else. You know, like there's a lot of doc. Oh, Bigfoot it's captures like a, him again. Oh yeah, yeah. He kind of runs out the, runs out of the house and he tries to run away. It's kind of a. It's like Jordan, like something Jordan Belfort would have done. You, what you'd picture him doing. It's like a really path, like pathetic around the car. Yeah, scene. and then he's just like he just goes in a ball so that they can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so funny because they are in a way on the, they're working together in this, but it's like for a mix of like legal reasons and just because of bigfoot's character he always like just will end up arresting him like a dick or something like they're working together on the case but he also puts he always accuses doc as a suspect for mickey wolfman like throughout the whole thing yeah he's like maybe you killed him and he's like what (laughs) <laughs> oh, and that does bring us, though, to the Reese Witherspoon scene, who mm. is an ex-old lady, as they would say in this movie, and she is a district attorney, yeah. which could not be a more funny match. Yeah. Um, and she said, she even like asked him, like, are you sure you didn't kill him? <laughs> like, you don't think you would forget? <laughs> She's like, you and, smoke weed, like, and he's like, how many, how many joints have you had today he's like i'm gonna have to check the log book yeah yeah, yeah. that's a good <laughs> i like that line a lot too and there's like no genuine pushback from him in that scene to say that where the audience had you know needs to believe doc that he didn't kill <laughs> kill him you know what i mean like because it doesn't matter like for all we could have known he did um i'm not saying i actually believe that but that just goes along with it goes along with everything else we've talked about here. Um, well, I think we are to like the part with the golden fang, right? So like the yeah. introduction, mm-hmm. that scene with Owen Wilson's great in the fog. Oh, I've always, I've always loved mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. When you're too stoned and watching the movie, it is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is great. Cause um, yeah, it's just a sea of fog and Owen Wilson has great de- line delivery. You feel like they know they have known each other, but I'm pretty sure they've just met. Right. And it's just because they're of the same subculture and everything that um, their chemistry kind of works. Um, yeah, so he just enlists him to check on his uh, one of his old ladies and uh, a baby girl of his because he's been kind of uh, excommunicated due to... Uh, I like criminal slash political reasons. Yeah, he somehow gets becomes an undercover, working undercover, um, like a police informant. 
yeah he's right? like yeah he's an yeah. informant yeah. right and he's like he's way too deep in some shit right exactly <laughs> well and i like the scene a lot with him after like that john talked about before where they are at the house it's another dialogue scene where i don't pay attention to the party uh, scene but um no i'm talking about when just they it's their second meeting between owen wilson and joaquin and uh he's just kind of informing him that he checked on him they're okay oh right. um, like and um i don't know I, I i don't even remember what they talk about after that but it's just such a well acted scene and it's one of the chillest acting performances <laughs> by like Owen wilson's like whispering the whole time and he's just yeah. saying things he's like things going on right now are fucking crazy and john <laughs> that's I, I that's all i really remember that he says and then johnny greenwood's <laughs> score is like really like like quiet and trippy in the background and you're like what is going on <laughs> um but like speaking i think that you know that that scene that they're involved uh, invited to the the party for spotted dick or the band yeah Owen wilson and they're yeah. kind of like talking about how like they pick up on some weird atmosphere at the party and then there's like these musicians and then there's like neo-nazis like in the back yeah yeah and then it's just such an interesting scene like you said and then there's that long uh one shot scene with owen wilson and doc talking okay so that's what that's how we get to that because yeah. i forgot <laughs> <laughs> and then jay also is there too yeah 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 she and she gives us a piece of info i remember right. yeah <laughs> jade shows up so like randomly i feel like throughout this whole thing after just well, meeting her at the massage parlor right i think that is where um we are informed that the golden fang is a heroin distributor right yeah that's so. yeah it's a boat that smuggles in heroin right something. and they use some they use another one i think another one of their businesses to launder money right the 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 massage place is a laundering front and they built <laughs> it on top they built it on top right. of the property that mickey wolfman owned that ah. um the the guy khalil, khalil or i forget what his name was at the beginning he said it was his old neck of the woods and he's like it's uh. gone and so that's what <laughs> to yeah. go there and yeah there's all, all these right, see, this uh, is all these threads it's... this is why i brought you on because i don't know any of anyone else who could tell me uh, <laughs> tell me that <laughs> nobody <laughs> it, actually so at one of my internships in la i was talking to a another intern and i think i was like talk about i'm i was like i'm reading inherent vice right now because I like the movie so much. And he was like, oh, shit, yeah. Like, he's like, Pinchon books are wild. Like, you don't really retain any of the information as you're reading it. And the head, like, talent manager, the guy who kind of, you know, CEO, the founder of the company, was also by the water cooler as we were talking about this. And he said, he just straight up said, that movie was awful <laughs> and he just kept saying he just kept saying it sucked balls and i just like had you know just yeah was in that position so i just did not say anything you know what i mean <laughs> you know yeah, i, I mean, haven't read the book um but i've heard that it's like a good adaption yeah it is because 
it's just, yeah, it just is. It's so true to what the book is. They're interchangeable. You know, you, they're, they're not asking, you're not asking what's different really. It's, which is really great. And Paul Thomas Anderson is very self-indulgent in especially his early work, I think. And I feel like this is, um, this is like as less where he's like, you know, where the least he's writing about himself, you know, in any of his films, for sure. Which is, it's why it's his most different in his filmography right. to me. Yeah, it's it's the most different, but I, it's like, I think maybe he would be the, one of the only people who could pull it off. And I mean, he obviously did. So. Right, right. Well, and the writer, I mean, I think Pinchon is a very closed off, mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, it, it just... It's hard, you know, not anyone's going to get in with, uh, not everyone's going to get in with that guy, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of random directors off my, uh, off top of my head, but like, he wasn't going to let, um, I don't know, Pete Berg direct this movie or something like that. Um, Mick G. Mick G. <laughs> Mick G's yeah. hair advice. <laughs> um, well, and Antonio, I know you've also heard the WTF with Paul Thomas Anderson, um john i don't know if you've heard it i have um, i i don't remember much from it but i yeah, i've listened either, to it. yeah that Very is true. a that is a great movie um podcast for like if you have any interest in trying to understand this film because he's promoting it and not only do they go through every paul thomas anderson movie in the podcast and mark is like so into each one he's like all right he's like all right, there will be blood. He's like, opens the same time as No Country for All Men. <laughs> and he's he's talking about the master. And when he talks, he's honest about how, like, when he saw the movies that, uh, a lot of the movies, like the master in particular, where he's like, or Magnolia, where he walks out of the theater after, he's like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but Inherent Vice is actually one where, for that episode mark watched and he clearly uh, like it, it just spoke to him because he knew so much about it and when i was listening to it before, at the time i didn't know anything about it like i had i'd watch it but i didn't understand it and i was like why does mark gravitate towards this film so much he just like i don't know the i guess i don't know it's probably being older and being having familiarity with the time period you know yeah, but when us with us, that. it's more like doing research on the '60s. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I could see like someone like him really relating to I don't know, a <laughs> yeah. character like Doc. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's one of those movies. I feel like it just it 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 resonates with you, or somehow it all just blows over your head. And it's weird who you would expect to maybe like like it or and then who doesn't because you know i've recommended yeah. it to people and i'm like i don't know if you're gonna like it i think you will and then they're like i right. don't really like get it and like right I, I recommend it it's a fun read and it's also it's shorter and not so as which is a weird thing to say about this material because what we're talking about all the time is how overwhelming this is um, but this is the, out of the three pitch on books I've now read, I finished one today, which I also, uh, couldn't tell you what happened. <laughs> really, <laughs> It lost me by like page 20. Um, I would say inherent vice. The book is the least dense pinch on novel I have read. 
because these things get fucking ridiculous. I like the only reason why I don't put them down is because I am like prideful in trying to say I've read it and understand it, but I, I would not like recommend them to other people like ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you're not going to know what's going on. How can I, and I didn't either. So how could I stand by it and recommend it? You know? Um, but I will say, yeah, like I recommend Inherent Vice, the book for sure. And I, it's probably like out of the three I've read, it's the only I could see possible translating to film for mm -hmm. sure. Being that it is, um, the book is written like a noir as well, you know, um, because it, it just does have all those um, dialogue scenes that go on and on and on, which are, you know, you can, and um, just, all these set pieces that you can see like you're, yourself moving through in a film. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this is very, like very much, this movie's very much an ode to this guy's writing. Um, Cause the books Oop. produce that same sort of feeling. Um, but when I, but maybe in a more frustrating way sometimes <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, Gravity's rainbow starts off with this line called like, it goes like a tear a tear screams across the sky or something like that a tear screaming across the sky and it's like a great opening line and then after that it's it's like all goes downhill after that you're like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> what what is this it goes very deep into physics and the cold war and it is also very very humor filled, but I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that line almost sounds like a uh, like a Michael Scott quote, where he's trying to be like profound. Oh. <laughs> my my heart soars with the eagle's nest, <laughs> something like that. Right, right, right. Well, like in the episode I watched today, Phyllis goes like, "What should I say to my clients that you're, uh, you know, not that you're leaving?" And he's she says, uh, "Tell them, I have an angel." now and whenever <laughs> whenever they feel something on their shoulder that is me <laughs> or something like that it's like all right what about the higher corporate accounts and he says tell them i'm in the media <laughs> so we were going to talk about the dentist uh the dentist, the dentist scene where another another character comes in oh uh, right uh, right a new character yeah chaponica something Either way, okay, um, yeah. what do they talk about, Antonio, since you were the one who suggested this scene? So this is, I guess this is a scene that like reveals what exactly the Golden Fang is. Um, because Shasta sends him a postcard about that time where they did the Ouija board day. And that leads, oh. that leads him to that spot. And now there's this big building in the shape of a fang there. Right. And um, he, Doc kind of puts together that these dentists are so like it's this vertical operation of heroin. So they'll bring the heroin, deal the heroin, get people uh -huh. hooked, and then people's the heroin users' teeth like get ruined. So then they also have these. Yeah. Oh, so this is the, yeah, because he mm -hmm. does, doesn't he do a walk through the, um, basically the main room where they're operating? where they're right. doing the operations and he's kind of looking around and it's really crazy. It's just really fucking <laughs> crazy mainly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Now I remember this scene. And then they start doing a bunch of cocaine. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because they, um, well, actually, I think I'm going too far back in history now, but doctors used to operate with cocaine, I believe. Yeah. Interesting. I'm watching, I just watched season one of The Nick. John knows all about it. <laughs> yes. Not about The on. Nick, but, but that I've watched The Nick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I won't spoil it, but it has a fucked, fucked ending that connects cocaine to heroin. Uh, similarly, that this scene in Inherent Vice does. Um, so from the dentist's office, where do, where do we go next? They do a bunch of coke and then they get caught, but then let go. And they get caught because they think mm. that they're. That they There's got to be some Bigfoot scene, like yeah. That we... So he, oh yeah, yeah, he calls Doc right after. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes of them on the phone to tell him that the dentist who we just saw in the previous scene is died. He apparently fell off a trampoline and broke his neck. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's in this scene, his little boy is like pouring him the whiskey while he's on the phone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the little things like that um, with Bigfoot always. And I think we missed like a scene before with Bigfoot where he they're on the phone. He doesn't he say Shasta's like dead yeah. or like he kind of leads <laughs> him says, to think he says she's gone. And then he's like, well, right. And he leads him to think that she's dead. Yeah, um, right. and it's like towards the beginning, towards the beginning of the film, and um, Bigfoot, Bigfoot's just acting like a total dick about it too. He's, <laughs> he's gone, man. She's out there. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He goes from that. He says he's gone, and then he's he, he's processing, and then he says he's gone. She said she's gone. She's out there, and he's like, wait. <laughs> yeah, it's not handled with like the comedic timing of a regular movie either because of just doc moves at a different rate that, than everyone because of all the all the weed and um like man dude there are some scenes where like i definitely don't think i could have understood um joaquin phoenix if it weren't for subtitles because he mumbles, he mumbles like yeah. have he starts off some sentences like with a big mumble like a big mumble that you can't possibly understand that he kind of like finds his like words along the way and you're like all right here we go i'm kind of here i'm hearing this now i'm just going i'm just going off you guys right right now because i'm bl i'm blanking well, right now i want to say uh, along with martin short one of my favorite side characters is the doctor <laughs> yeah at the yeah. institution i love when he's just like showing him around right. and they go to like right. the the theater and he's like yeah he's mouthing the words along right to right, the movie right. That, that he's so that, funny. it reminds yeah. me of like a clock orange like just you know it's like taking inspiration of like the look and the feel of it and kind of playing off of that a little bit yeah and then there's that great shot of him just seeing owen wilson in there doing what he's got to do you know getting deeper into weirdville his character is and he sees doc and he's like what the fuck are you doing here <laughs> yeah and then there's also the guy puck with the swastika tattoo mm -hmm. and like i have, yeah. like how they you know they allude everything is connected because he asked the doctor is that guy have a swastika swastika tattoo and then the doctor yeah gave yeah him this like bullshit response uh so it's like the doctor knows what's up but it's like all this yeah and i just love when he's like walking out and he's like touring him the place like and he just splits off in that shot 
and then they keep walking and talking and <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i forgot yeah, about that yeah that's pretty good um yeah we're getting it's it's we're getting so deep into the like the odd but the oddest of the odd with the film and the just the ultra the hyper paranoia that uh the movie foreshadows throughout you know um you know i need to bring up something from the very beginning of this movie that goes along with the score it is just really the opening title shot yeah i gotta talk about that i can't not talk about that because even when i even when i didn't get the film at all Mm-hmm. I loved this opening shot and I love yeah. the um, opening song of this movie. It, it was almost a thing that like kept me, you know, yeah. made me keep watching this movie because it made me feel, all right, this movie's for me. I am just, you know, I'm just too dumb to understand it. You know, I would just think that. So I would, and I would always come back to it because it was always the vibe like appealed to me. Mm-hmm. And that just mm-hmm. sets off that perfect vibe. With the can God. song. Yes. Yeah. 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 Vitamin or whatever. Uh, vitamin C. Yeah. Vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, this is one I've listened to a lot. It was probably, you know, Spotify does those year end music things. Mm-hmm. This is one that like one of those songs from a score or soundtrack that made the list of my year end in music. Uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good one. Another good on the move song as well. Yeah, that that scene just like I perfectly sets the tone as far as like this creeping like paranoia. Like. Yeah. Yep. And and as his like as his love like drives away mm-hmm. and sets him out, kind of sends him out on his whole journey of kind of finding her again, rediscovering mm-hmm. her. Um, which I think we, you know, we might be getting. <laughs> with however we're doing this we might be getting there soon right like isn't that scene coming up where she comes back Mm -hmm. uh to his apartment and it that's another scene where you don't where you're not sure whether it's real or not at all um but i think it like that scene follows another important scene maybe that i don't want to skip over if any if this scene if anyone can backtrack that (laughs) if you can't we can just go to that scene. I think that I think that is the scene that comes next. That works yeah. for me. For, like, oh, totally. Sure. I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> That's such. Yeah, a good you could scene. like you could like gamble on on this, like trying to, you know, because it's borderline like luck. Yeah, like, really. Just trying to remember this movie. I think that's probably like one of the most important scenes of the movie, and I love how it's all in one like take. It's all in one. Yeah, shot. It, yeah, it's all in one shot, and um, she has a very, like I was saying, that this movie pays homage, like really takes from Pinchon's writing. She has a very long monologue where I, that is, it, it really goes on for a while, and mm-hmm. it covers a lot of ground, and I always. I always lose, lose, um, lose it during it. Like I don't, I, I, I just can't keep up with the whole thing. Um, and it just, it just speaks to how great Catherine Waterstone is in this film, just uh, throughout. Just her, not only her screen presence, just not that only that monologue, but her screen presence in this scene is really great. Like she's got that necklace on, and she's like rub, you know, she's sitting on the edge of the couch, rubbing her foot on him, and uh just 
her line delivery is so great. And that's when, and she kind of matches Doc's tone. She's like, she talks a little like Doc. It's like, it's just very slow. And it's just very slow and po like poetic the way she gives this, uh, this monologue out. Um, which, and I think it, I, I think it speaks to the, just the theme of the movie. You know, I couldn't, Definitely. I can't get Definitely. more, I, I don't think I'd get more specific with what she says than that. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. This is another one where I was, I was definitely trailing off a bit with, with her monologue. And then all of a sudden they start having sex. It's like, Oh shit. Like that, like just like that drastic yeah. change. And it's uh, like this mix of emotions. Cause it's like so dark at what like she's saying and like yeah. revealing. And he's yeah. even like, why are you telling me this? But you can tell it's turning him on. And then, right. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't take and, it anymore. Yeah. And I like the line. It's like, does this mean we're back together? It's like, right. Oh, or something. Right. <laughs> and they do consistently say that. And the movie is about change. And in their own way, them not being together again is like, it's, it's about them trying to change in a way, but it's almost like that their relationship is, you know, they will always like have something. And it's like the only thing that's constant in all of this. Um, which is why it's like, you know, it's everything in this movie. Um, and another thing you could argue with people who think this is a meaningless bunch of bullshit, like, no, it's not, it's not. Look at like these, look at this, look at, look at these two. Um, uh, my brother owns the Blu-ray and the menu. Do you own the Blu-ray, Antonio? Yeah, I do, but I haven't, I haven't watched it on the blu-ray that i own. oh well <laughs> then just just check out the menu okay of the blu-ray it's just the two of these two sitting on the beach um for like five minutes the photography's uh great and then johnny greenwood's um amethyst which is maybe my favorite track in this movie is playing just during it. It's like, it's like oh, a good, awesome. just, it's like a screensaver you could just have on all the time. It's so good. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Just put on, just put it on for your Blu-ray sake. Nice. <laughs> watch some supplementary features. Yeah. You don't, you definitely don't have to watch the, the whole film again. That's, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Unless you want to. Yeah. I think, I think at this point, like, I'll watch some people who haven't seen it before. Yeah. I'm viewing I don't this know. episode almost as my, uh, I don't know, my, not like last hurrah. It'll never be a last hurrah, but really where it's like, all right, finally, Luke, like enough with inherent vice already. Like, what are you getting? <laughs> what are you even getting out of it anymore? Um, but I would, I, I, I'm also like, I don't think any other movie podcast <laughs> would be doing one on inherent vice like like us right now i mean yeah, even yeah. even looking at youtube there's very few people talking about this movie like at all yeah yeah it's not like there's a um inherent vice honest trailer or something <laughs> you know or uh, any of those any of those things yeah there's not a whole lot of like video essays on this where there's definitely for other paul thomas anderson movies there's for sure a ton but actually, going yeah. back to that, uh, the Johnny Greenwood score, I don't know if you guys thought this too, but I felt like uh, I tied in a lot of, uh, 
I don't know, it's sort of called back to like a lot of noir soundtracks from back in the day with like the the vibraphones and everything, especially mm-hmm. on a couple of the, towards the end of the movie, a couple of the last songs. It's just like that moody, like vibraphone that's so like atmospheric and everything. It sounds just so cool. And yeah, and all mm-hmm. the percussion, the different percussion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, and uh, you mentioned that like song that was almost like a Radiohead song too earlier. Like, mm-hmm. there's a, a couple. I feel like like there's a good, yeah. There's like a good mix between the soundtrack and the score throughout it. That's very like Johnny Greenwood and also very like classic noir that I really like right. about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, some of his other scores that I think it would be, if you know know him only as the radio guy. Radiohead guy alone, there's no way you could guess it was him who did it. Like he very much disguises himself yeah, and no. it, himself and goes deep into film, filmmate like w- like what the history of film scoring is. You know, he really right. pays a mod- homage to that. But this, you can re- kind of be like, is that Johnny Greenwood, Greenwood playing the guitar right now? You know, like <laughs> because he it is so distinct. Like there's there's no gu- guitar player like like him ever. So. Uh, yeah, just you can like see through his musical mind by the way he plays the guitar. But like in the master, there will be blood. It's a lot of tones, like a lot of um, especially in there will be blood, dark, dark horror movie soundtrack. Yeah, like tones. D- dissonant tones and like yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like I think his first ever, like maybe his first ever film score, um, which is pretty crazy. This one in Harry Potter, there will no, be. no, uh, there will be blood. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Wow, I mean, it really just helps keep this mood and this. this I don't know. I I never find the movie boring for myself because one, yeah, when it easily easily like, could be, it easily mm-hmm. could be a boring movie. Yeah, but um, this, you know, this energy that that it carries with the soundtrack and the score. Yeah, I, I love just his collaborations with PTA. Um, I feel like um, it, it, they, it's almost like, I don't know, he just leaves, he gives him, PTA gives Johnny like just great platforms to go all crazy with the score where, I don't know, there's, where where the film like, you know, has actual quiet, like his characters aren't having drama, um, they aren't talking and it's room for the score to be, talking to the audience you know like i don't know like phantom thread opens with that like montage showing how the house of woodcock works and then johnny greenwood's like house of woodcock score like just really sets the tone for i don't know it really just it, it really speaks routine that score to me i don't know if either of you remember it um and it's also just i don't know it's just super re-listenable and beautiful and uh, another one that you would not know it's Johnny Greenwood for sure mm. unless you're just aware of his composing career it's just a lot of strings a lot of heavy strings mm. it's interesting like going off of the the score is like once we get to the I mean this is kind of what comes next in the movie too is like this scene where he gets captured by uh, uh, the mob guy um adrian adrian prussia Prussia. yeah yeah there is no score like in that in that scene i don't think is this where he's um 
he's handcuffed to the pipe. Yeah, like the guy gives him PCP and then yes, they're going to kill yeah. him with heroin or something. That's one of those scenes that like what I mean before, like and you were saying before that this isn't a super dark movie in a way, because while that is a dark scene, I think I argue it could be darker um, just because of the tone of this movie and the fact that um, I don't know, it's it's just really it's almost about like the the weirdness and of doc getting himself into all these situations and the fact that it ex- escalates, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And then it's also revealed that, uh, I guess we skipped over an important scene where he reads the FBI files and, and finds out that, um, Bigfoot's partner was killed by this guy, Adrian, because of, just how the mob works or how this whole thing works and that Bigfoot has just had to keep keep a low profile but then this was also a point where I don't understand exactly why this happens but like Bigfoot then is like ripping off them by taking some of the heroin yeah 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 that scene always I am always so lost while he is just putting it all into the cars (laughs) and it's a great it's a great like it's a great kind of like hazy over the shoulder of like Joaquin and his hair and you're kind of like walk you know you're following walking with him and it's just like an out of focus uh Bigfoot like putting it all ways like this is what's got to be Sportello and he's just Doc's just like lost it um at this point uh for sure because he doesn't know he definitely doesn't know who to trust anymore like what you know he doesn't know what everyone's intent it just speaks to him not knowing uh the establishment's intentions ever you know as much as he tries to read them throughout um yeah yeah and he's being used in a number of capacities yeah 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 oh yeah that that is the big yeah that is a big point for that scene as well um Another scene I'm thinking that we miss now is just one, it's a really quick one. It's one that where Reese Witherspoon just like kind of comes over. Um, do you remember that scene? Yeah. Is that like way back? She reveals towards the beginning. But she reveals something yeah. important in that scene too. I, I don't remember. Probably, probably. Some, something that led us to here, she probably reveals there. Um <laughs> It's a really, but it's it's just like a, like a good unraveling of her character to see her in this light versus it as the like, uh, stiff D D A. Um, I mean, I think like later she goes back, he goes back to her office to try to get going again, but she's kind of sunk, sunk back into that position, and she kind of says to the, she kind of says to the guy in her office, she, he's like, you know this guy, you know, like this yeah. fucking hippie walking in here. And she's like, this is who I was telling you about, <laughs> you know. I like also uh, how like these are like confidential files, and then he's like, you're gonna like show, let me do that, like you're gonna break into them. And he's like, we do it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't talked about Reese Witherspoon enough in this because. I feel like I talk about her a decent amount on the podcast because I watch some of her other movies that are mm. bad. Like she's in a lot of like she's a great, great actress and she's in a lot of bad films and which is too bad. But mm. she's also in like this and um, Big Little Lies. 
so she's got like that I and mean, big little lies is insane uh how good they all are in that movie but it's just so nice to be for her to be in in my opinion a functional movie in inherent vice like just just to see her really work in something and fit into what the director is trying to do um and also yeah like another like random casting you're like reese witherspoon's an inherent vice yeah it's so cool that he probably was just like, I have to fill up all these characters. I'm just going to get and I, and, he, I and he's like, and them. I can, yeah. and he's like, yeah, I can right. do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then even, uh, even, yeah, his wife, Maya Rudolph, uh, has a small yeah. role too. She plays like a uh, Petunia, I believe her name is. And she's literally his secretary. Yeah. And, and his office is, I, we don't talk about his office, but it's just like hilarious how, weird and shady it's like, a, it's like a OBGYN office or something yeah yeah it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very I fitting think, for some reason you know right and I think during the first scene he does tell like Shasta um like it's like I gotta it's so weird to try to talk like him but he's like I got a an office now like legit business you know like and you're just kind of wondering what it was like before that you know (laughs) but even so he just he just goes to his office um it's like a pure formality thing like we hardly go to the office like his job Mm -hmm. is very much on the move and he just on the does, move yeah, as drug. it happens he's just doing like drugs in the office all the time like smoking <laughs> yeah the, the gas <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 he's got the gas mask <laughs> he just like goes in there walks back out uh i also like that scene where he it, it, this is also at the beginning of the movie but where he's like reading the newspaper at the coffee shop and he's like he's like mickey wolfman's one of the biggest real estate developers <laughs> he's like learning about everything that's going on and just his line delivery is so hilarious during that um it's probably the most he like actually enunciates um and uh you know projects the whole film yeah like he doesn't yell in this movie no yeah like a when there are movements uh, moments where he probably should it's funny to see that side of him, especially at the end too, when he kills, uh, kills who like Adrian and Puck. It's like, it's like shocking, at least for someone who has only seen it twice, that like he's capable of doing something. Right. Like yeah. And then he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't really. He doesn't dwell on it. Like it's never. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like the points <laughs> you guys are bringing up about Doc as a character, because it's like, I mean, in some capacity, he has to be like thriving off of like these situations and i think they kind of play that like part of his character but like you know i mean that's why he does this job is because i think he likes getting lost and like getting into these yeah situations right right yeah and there is something about after all the noirs that i've watched that we've all watched um to see someone you know uh like this as a detective there's something so fitting in it to me even more so than like um humphrey bogart in a suit like i don't know there's something so real about this world you know that um i can believe that there were uh like freelance like investigators for that are deep into this like hippie subculture you know for me Mm mm-hmm 
yeah it, it also reminded me a little bit of uh, i can't remember the name now there's that m- new newer movie with russell crowe and ryan gosling uh oh the nice guy <laughs> the nice guys yeah it, yeah it reminded me a little bit yeah. of that too yeah um which yeah. is a very funny very funny movie too um with yeah these private investigators yeah underrated time underrated movie, yeah i think yeah, I believe that was on John's best of the decade list. Oh, right. Yeah. I think so. Right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Might have been number oh, that 10. That was a good that. episode. I like those episodes. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, we went pretty hard, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> a best of uh, the decade is like a never-ending conversation. Like I'd like to hear I'd like to hear everyone's best of the decade, you know? I mean, I would honestly put like something like this on there, but then then it's competing with other PTA movies and it's like, well, I think I almost, I probably was thinking of putting this on there. Cause I was like, I want this to be as me of a list, you know, I wanted it to be my personal like favorite, but I think I'd put the master because I had to honestly ask myself mm. like, which one do I want on there? Which one is probably gonna, I don't know, influence more or be seen more like years down the road. And it's, it's definitely the master more than this. Like, yeah. The only ones keeping this movie alive are us right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's still the Owen Wilson scene where the, which I talked about before, but all, so all I'll say about it is that that's when the amethyst score plays that I Mm -hmm. fucking love. And I Mm -hmm. listen to as much as anything in this movie. It's like, um, it's the perfect movie for just, sitting on the beach and like letting the wind blow through your hair you know there's just something like so just sad and real but also it's like i don't know that just feels just feels content to me when i listen to that um and that one maybe just just johnny like playing an acoustic um like and then like re-recording like you know some stuff over like the main uh melody of it but yeah, yeah I, 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 I like again. that one. Yeah, those are oh, I mean, really, really touching like moments. I think before the you know the film starts to wrap up because it's really like this is what it's about. Yeah, well, and we are in the peak of the paranoia right. and everything. I all this crazy shit happens that I don't remember, but I like this scene. Well, like kind of like it's like a little it's like a little breather from that in the middle of all this where he's like, I've, you know, he brings he, Owen Wilson's kind of like just running out of that um, asylum place. And he's yeah. like, thank you. And then when he gets there, he's like really nervous and he's mm-hmm. telling doc, he, he's trying to like, you know, tell doc how much gratitude he has, but doc, and doc's just like, he's like, no man. He's like, it's your life. You get, you get, now you get to live it. And then he walks up and it's not like, I mean, it's really not as corny as like the way I just made it sound. Like it's really, really beautiful. And like, it's one of those where I finally like look at Doc and I'm like, damn, this guy really like, like in, and at that moment, he's like a hero in the movie, which yeah, cause, I mean, you don't really a, look at him. Yeah. As, he puts, uh, you know, the reward of money and everything and like solving everything. Yeah. He uses yeah. all his leverage to reunite like a family, you know? Yeah. Yeah, a guy who he didn't he didn't know, you he know. Didn't know, right. Someone just brought it up to him one day. Uh Yeah, and that's like I mean all his all of his investigations in this are in the end for the good. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that speaks to like 
like Thomas Pinchon is mainly known for like, you know, uh, you know, starting the hippie conspiracy, like literature, like genre. And that is like, you know, it is of course, because of that, it's like very anti-establishment, but it also has these like very heartful sides to them and just very, um, it really are, is about a guy who like loves this country, but who's just seen it, uh, yeah, I don't know, kind of just seen it being destroyed in different ways and in inherent vice it is like it is like the 60s that is being destroyed you know mm-hmm. being this being an ode to the 60s uh yeah i think the for me the last two scenes are probably like the most artistic as far as i, I and i hesitate even like putting into words like what they kind of represent but i feel like what you were kind of saying about like whatever whatever it is that Thomas Pinchon wants to get across, I feel like just the way the scene, the one where he eats like all his weed, he breaks in and he yeah. eats all his weed and yeah. they're different people from different worlds, but they're like on this mutual thing. Right. And his scene with, you know, uh, Shasta reunited, I feel like it's like, I don't know, I kind of, it, it reinvigorates my like idea of like how do how do i operate in like a world that's like so crazy and like yeah everything's out of my control yeah the amount of times i've seen the bigfoot scene where he starts <laughs> eating all it, it's it's too many times and i've had so many just i've had like the opportunity to have so many just different reactions like of course the first like three to four times i was losing my mind and going like what the fuck like (laughs) you know like it's just so crazy and um i don't know it just ends up it ends up being like it goes down as like one of the best weird scenes that there is um and it really and it ends the movie it really does like Mm-hmm. I always think because I always the movie tricks me always into thinking I'm like this is never gonna end this is never gonna end and <laughs> then I always think that there's more after the Josh Brolin scene I always do and it's that's it that really is it um yeah, it's and kind of an un- unexpected ending for sure yeah well he kind of it's kind of like he's eating up all the grass and he's like the 60s are over hippie and it's yeah. just kind of like, like get out of this get out of it's i don't know it's kind of like get out of this fucking like you know hippie paranoia road like road trip you've been on you know and like snap back to earth sort of deal um but then that last scene with shasta in, in the car is really great as like um kind of he just sees he could just kind of like there's a flicker of light like they're kind of coming towards the end of this weird transition phase and you kind of get that feeling that they're all going to be together um yeah and then it ends with a really groovy tune that i listen to a lot also <laughs> <laughs> all right i thought of a line that i just want to bring up yeah <laughs> um it's a small line uh got like i think like bigfoot and doc are in a locker room or something like that at the police um at the police station and bigfoot has another banana and the police and he's like one of the chocolate ones and he's like and he's like by the garbage like unpeeling it or something and one of his uh one of another cop walks by is like hey 
nice banana or something like that. To any, and then um, Bigfoot goes, oh, yeah, why don't you uh, like put your pants down and turn around and I'll give it to you. And he goes, fuck you and fuck your banana. <laughs> and he's just like, why? It's just like this quick like exchange as he walks past um bigfoot and doc <laughs> and doc's just like watching it happen it's probably one of the it's one of my favorite lines in the movie and then and goes to doc he's like you smell like a patchouli fart and i just die laughing like... <laughs> wait is that is he eating one of those bananas when doc and uh bigfoot are in the car and and doc is just staring at him I thought I couldn't tell if it was a popsicle or what, and, and it's just yeah. a close-up on just Josh Brolin just licking the shit out of this popsicle, and Joaquin Phoenix just staring at him. And I I didn't take a lot of notes, but one note I put was Josh Brolin popsicle, just because uh, I wanted to remember. Yeah, that. like constantly, and it's also just like it, it's a shot perfectly for laughs, but it's like a great like just shot through the window like past past josh roll brolin in the popsicle and like joaquin phoenix is like what the fuck face <laughs> yeah i i really love that uh that short little scene but yeah well thanks for joining wow. us antonio because you were super helpful yeah. to uh tie some things together that yeah even though i watched it last night i still am very much lost i mean i, I felt like this days ago and i was like how am i even gonna think of like what happens like <laughs> well i watched it right before this and i which means i like the ending of the movie and like the third act and is was very fresh in my mind but like as you saw i couldn't think of anything <laughs> like from the end mm -hmm. of it i really couldn't yeah i mean every time i finish watching it i kind of feel just like hyped up in a way like even though it was like such a such an endeavor to watch it because it's so long of a movie um, it is an endeavor mm -hmm. when it's over i'm kind of like man like i'm ready like i don't even know for what but it's just like <laughs> i don't know i feel good i'm and, ready like, for the 70s again yeah, the, right. <laughs> like most pta movies kind of are heavy so when i get out it's like more of a relief i guess but this one is i don't know such a good time so yeah pleasure talking about it does anyone have any um, summer, just bring up some summer memories here since this is end of summer and inherent vice is about nostalgia mm -hmm. and end of, end of summer, anything. I don't know. What did, ever, what did everyone do? Like what, is, what was their like favorite thing? From this past summer or? Yeah. Can I tell you about my least favorite thing? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> because That's it, it more than welcome. just happened. So for I just got back on Monday, but from Thursday to Monday, I was in San or I was in San Diego for a combined bachelor and bachelorette party. I was traveling a lot, and now I finally have like a few weeks where I'm home. I don't have any plans or anything, and I get home on Monday afternoon. And Monday night, I let my dog out to uh, go to the bathroom, and there's a skunk in our yard, and she kills the skunk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I saw something from your wife posted about probably this. posted some. I was wondering yeah. whether it was real or not. It was real. Yeah, there was a uh, oh. I, op I opened the door to let her out. And before I could really stop her, uh, I was just like screaming at the top of my lungs, which is the not the right thing to do, because that just amped her up. And 
uh yeah she killed the skunk it reeked in our place and outside for uh quite some time and that was just after getting back and uh yeah so this was this was like my my cap off of summer but uh and now there's still like every now and then the wind will blow and i'll get like a little bit of a whiff of skunk but uh (laughs) but yeah it's over with uh madison our dog has to quarantine for at least a week while i test the skunk for rabies mm-hmm. and uh yeah and now it's and now it's september so it's uh yeah i'm i think the the hard part of the summer is over for me the hard part um so yeah that's that's my end of summer uh fiasco for the cure john for the cure yeah <laughs> we might have to do a fun run for my dog if she uh it turns out she has rabies but <laughs> but i i really i really hope she's okay yeah she's a good she dog. should be okay but she got a booster shot at the she's vaccinated she got the booster shot yesterday mm-hmm. she she should be good yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you antonio not worse you don't have to like compare no, you it can to try to more meet uplifting. a skunk <laughs> <laughs> well was, there's like, been nothing smelly for me for me lately <laughs> i was walking uh with Ian actually and we were like two feet from a skunk and i was like oh skunk and then we just like crossed the street and i was like thank god it did not spray me yeah no one so like try to like pick the skunk up or something <laughs> yeah. so what what was my favorite summer end of summer sure yeah anything really um i i just went to the foo fighters concert uh, yeah and it was like my first like stadium show back and uh it was just so it was so awesome like and then in the last song for uh everlong they brought out like this girl who's like nine or ten maybe and she had like gone viral for playing the drums i i guess on everlong oh nice and they brought her on to like play the last song and like everyone was just like cheering her on like mandy mandy and then <laughs> she's cool. like on stage with her eyes open and i was like this is so cool like this is awesome <laughs> and you just went to a show john right yeah, yeah. I guess oh, Weezer the, the, finished it off going to Weezer, follow up playing nice. Green Day. Oh hell! Uh, oh wow, that is so. Which, yeah, <laughs> this is like it's like peak uh, two thousand like six, right? Two thousand five, yes, uh, like yeah. lineup. Um, but yeah, it was really, yeah. it was really, really good. I haven't listened to those bands too much in the past few years, but uh, I was a huge Weezer fan back in the day. So it was great, great seeing them and uh we were like super close too so that was that was cool so that was that was a good part yeah i actually haven't been to a concert since covid began so yeah it's crazy so i'm going to pitchfork with antonio next week for a day so that's gonna be wild like for me yeah that's gonna be wild who you guys Um, hoping to see uh, Flying Lotus, yeah. um, Very nice. Danny Brown, and Thundercat, and who yeah. else? I think Eve's Tumor maybe is that day, or maybe not. I don't know. I There's don't like know. a headliner that day that is good. I forget. Like old school funk soul type, maybe. Did you have a favorite end of summer thing so far? Yeah, yeah. So one day, my family and I, we did like... um like a thing for my dad's birthday turned 60. So my family and I like went to a awesome restaurant in the city. And then we went to that Van Gogh exhibit Mm. and which was awesome. It was amazing. And 
it just kind of felt like since COVID, it was like, wow, I'm like really like doing things right now. Like it was like my senses were like razor high just because I haven't, <laughs> I feel like I've just been, you know, trying to be so careful and also just working and saving money so much. So just doing that was like, just so it was so awesome. And mm -hmm. it was really nice because my family and I are like, you know, we're, we're not gonna be seeing each other as much over the next few years as much so it was kind of like a last hurrah sort of thing yeah for sure that's nice have you been to the frida Kahlo thing at cod luke it's at cod yeah yeah i was home for what? Like one one day in july and, my and you went and to I it went. it's it's actually like pretty cool they have some of her like originals in there and um, then i should go yeah i forget how i think it's like 30 bucks something like that but yeah it's just at cod it's pretty cool the Van Gogh thing is in its in a way it pretty much is cinema like what they're doing because they're they're kind of taking the paintings and they're blowing them up on they're like it's meant to be seen on this big screen where the wall is surrounding you and they're, it's kind of moving the images around to the rhythm of the music so it's it kind of it was not quite like going to a movie but kind of you know experience sounds yeah like. yeah yeah it was cool nice all right, well, well, guys, we can we can wrap it up there then. That was uh, fun. I am I feel good about this. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I think we did touch on like every point, like every yeah. different aspect of the movie. Maybe we didn't cover the plot so well, but I don't. I challenge anyone <laughs> to be able to do that. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was so. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but of course, but we said a lot more than like I was worried. I was really worried like how much I, we were going to have to say about this. Um, so we, and we talked for like a couple hours about it, I think. Um, but that just happens sometimes. That's just the way it is here. Sometimes, man, like we were, um, we were talking about what John, uh, the Jim Carrey flick, uh, Ben Stiller directed movie. Uh, cable guy. Yeah. Cable guy. I didn't think I was gonna have shit to say about that. Um, I also haven't seen it eight times, but I think we talked for a couple hours about the cable guy. Like we had all yeah, these, we... we had all these opinions about it and everything. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, when you get something yeah. weird like that or like this, yeah, you can you can always bring something up. Both, yeah, definitely, definitely both yeah. really weird and fuck, man. It even makes me think like, what if you know, what if Jim Carrey had a scene in this movie? You know? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> right. Wow. That's a whole can of worms that I'm like in the, just opened. Yeah. In the third act or something like that. <laughs> wow, yeah. Inherent Vice 2. That's where Jim Carrey <laughs> yeah. comes in. Yeah. Give Steve Martin like a scene with Martin Short in it. Yeah. Oh, good call. Yeah. Which, by the way, it. Steve Martin and Martin Short have a show that I want to watch on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, you yeah. throw Selena Gomez in the scene, too, and yeah, she's, yeah. Doing, <laughs> she's doing coke off of Steve Martin, and it's this whole sketch <laughs> thing from their new show. <laughs> there, we'll, we'll pitch this. All right, that's a good way to end it there. <laughs>